0: chapter 3, while you're turning there, we'll make other announcements after the message here today, but um, one announcement, a week ago the church voted to give a matching gift to um, Circle of Freedom, the home for addictions in Seymour, and we we voted to give 25000 toward that, and um, Kim called yesterday and said, called Andrew and said, I just have to tell you what God's been doing. We already have 17,000 of that. Isn't that amazing? And what God is doing, that is a a great testimony of um, God's grace and provision. And um, we rejoice that we could be a part of that. Colossians 3, this passage really gets in, continues in, I should say, the practical aspect of the principles and the doctrines that were given at the very beginning of this book. That Christ is all, Christ is above all, that Christ is the focus, that he is the one that sustains us. Everything comes back to Christ. And he then goes in the memory verses that we said earlier, that if Christ is your all, then you should put on meekness, humbleness of mind, long suffering, be forbearing and forgiving, and and all of those things should be manifested. And then he brings it down and applies it to daily life. And and really deals specifically. And this message today, there are very few of you here today that this message will not apply to. It it covers about every area. And this passage today, um, the violation of this passage today has been one of the things that is caused as much grief in my life our lives as a pastor and in the ministry as probably anything else there are there are still things that that we've dealt with that as I go back and think of it 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 just puts a pit in my stomach when i think about if we had followed these passages all of that disaster would have been avoided. And, and here are two Christians, professing Christians, and, and we can't do it. It's not we can't, we won't do it. And, and he deals with beginning with the home. And I don't care where you go, you can trace problems in society back to the home. Either the blessing of the home or the curse of the home. And as goes the home, so goes a nation. And we can talk about all these things that are happening in our nation today. But if you get to the root of it, much of it goes right back to the home. And, and so he gets in here. And we know today, we've known for years, we've known since the Garden of Eden that the home in general, families in general, are under attack, but Christian homes in particular. Now, just to kind of set the stage for what Paul is writing, who he is writing to, the plight of women in the ancient world was a, a dark, Dark situation. Under Jewish law, a woman was a possession. She was a thing. Honestly, that, that's how they viewed her. Um, just like a Jewish man uh, in, in these days that he was writing uh, viewed his flocks or his material goods, that was his attitude toward women. She had no legal right whatsoever. Um, For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause. The Greek society was not much better. A woman lived her life in entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to the market. She lived in women's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. From her was demanded complete servitude and chastity, but her husband had limitless freedoms to do whatever his heart desired. And under both the Jewish and the Greek laws and customs, all the privileges belong to the husband and all the duties to the wife. If you look throughout history, wherever Christianity has gone, wherever people have followed the ways of God, it has elevated the position of women. When a society turns away from the ways of God, the home disintegrates, Women are are demeaned and lowered, and so Paul is writing in a society that is filled with totally unbiblical um, unbiblical ideas and principles and practices. So he begins here, and he it begins first of all with the wives. And today, just following this passage, we're going to deal with the wives. You get to hear it, and out of the way. Then you can sit back and relax, all right? Then he deals with the husbands. Then he deals with the fathers. Then he deals with the children. And, and he then deals with the laborers and the bosses, all right? So we're going to go in, jump in, and see what God has to say. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. A wife's submission has to do with function, not value. We know that a wife is equal in value to her husband. Peter told us in 1 Peter 3 that the wife is heir of the grace of God as is the husband, we are joint heirs together with Christ. And uh, this aspect of submission, is, he is not asking them to be as the Jewish and Greek people were. But he's asking in an aspect of functionality to be subordinate to the husband as Jesus Christ is to the Father. Yet equal with the Father. Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. And yet, he said, nevertheless, not my will be done. So a wife is functionally subordinate, yet equal to him. Different roles. Different manners. And he says, as it is fitting in the Lord. An interesting term that is used there. It is the idea, this is how... This is how God's design. It's proper. It's becoming. And it is God's design because this is what God designed a woman for and God's design. Headship is not dictatorship or lordship. It is loving leadership. And we'll get to that in just a moment. In fact parallel passage, which is almost identical, and you've seen it in your studies this week, Ephesians chapter 5, he begins that by saying, let everyone be subject unto the Lord. Let everyone be in submission to God. So he's reminding us that We are to be submissive to God. And he goes in and deals with all the aspects. Again, every one of these, we could do a series on all of these. Today, again, we're skipping a stone across these. But let let me just hasten to say, none of these things, when it says wives submit, when it says children obey, None of these are asking you to disobey God to obey a human authority. None of them. Let me also begin by saying, I don't want to see anybody elbowing their neighbor, their husband or wife or their kids during this message. The last thing I ever want to hear is you went home and preached as a man or as a wife or as a parent what the other person's supposed to do. You got enough on your plate. I got enough on my plate to take care of what my responsibility is to do. And we're not going to follow God's plan by trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye when we have a beam in our own. So that's a that's a disclaimer from the very beginning, okay? And it's important. This I can't emphasize enough. This is foundational to Christianity and this is this is what breaks my heart is because we we forfeit God's plan. So he says and and a wife a A big part of the submission is respect, to give respect unto the husband. Now we'll go to the husbands. See, wives, that wasn't so bad, right? What I say isn't so bad, what the Spirit of God is going to convict, that will be good. It may be painful, but it will be good, okay? So husbands... Love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Love your wives is a term that is used here. It is a willing love, not a love that just flames up out of passion or emotion, but it's a love of choice. It's a love of commitment, a covenant kind. It is keep on doing what is best For your wife, the willing covenant love is a self-sacrificing love. And in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's a self-sacrificing love, though the husband is to lead. He must lead in kindness. He must lead in love. It is a a responsibility that God has given. And honestly, under normal circumstances, if, if a husband is doing what God has called him to do, it makes it much easier for the wife to be what she ought to be. The wife to be what she ought to be is not going to come about by me preaching to her or you preaching to her. It comes about when we learn to love as Christ loved us. He's the initiator. We are to be the initiator. He loved us while we were yet sinners. You make as the model, men, you make as the model of your love Christ's love, and it will it will revolutionize your life if nothing else and and this is this is god's design it's a quality of love that is determined by the character of the one who loves it is a love based on the model of god and because god loves me like this i can now love my wife as God loves me and it's it's elevating it is it is not ruling with a rod of iron it is not don't question me i'm the boss around here if your wife does not have the liberty to talk to you and question decisions if she doesn't feel that liberty in in a good spirit there's something drastically wrong come unto me all you that labor jesus is saying come to me his love for us come now and let us reason together saith the lord it's not a it's not a fist of iron that rules over us and on the other hand there there's two ditches on the side of this road in every issue on the other hand it's not just Sitting back and not taking any lead, and whatever you want, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. Those are the those are the two ditches. It is learning to love, and honestly, this is a lifelong learning and growing process. It's not just I said I love you when we got married. I'll let you know if that changes. No, it, it, is, it is a commitment to do what is best for the glory of God, and it is sacrificing ourselves and our desires and our wishes for the sake of God's glory in the family. When a man and woman get married, it is a picture of Christ's eternal love for the church. The husband lovingly leads by giving himself up for the bride. And the wife submits to her loving husband the way you define. And and this is what marriage is all about. And the way you define marriage really, really matters. Similar to Paul's day, we live in a day that the definition of marriage is as wide as the ocean. Anything goes in marriage. But he says, no, in the midst of that culture, we must come back and realize God created marriage. God defines marriage. God designed the various roles of marriage. And we glorify God when we follow His design. So it's, it's understanding. And again, um, I'm tempted today to to linger too long in various aspects, but we need to to keep moving on. But this, this is foundational to our society. And in Christianity, we need to be raising up a standard that shows, wow, this is what a man is. This is how a man loves his wife. This is what a wife is. This is God's design. Isn't this amazing? Now, it doesn't mean there won't be conflicts. But we're able to respond in a biblical manner to those conflicts and handle matters the way God designed matters to be handled. And through that, our love grows and deepens. I thank God... For the love that we had when Marilyn and I were first married. But I thank God that our love now is much deeper, much more mature, much more like Christ than it was back then. And I hope if I live another ten years, I say the same thing again. Because I ought to be growing in love. He says, you husbands dwell with your wife according to knowledge. I need to always be knowing my wife. Because my wife is always changing, I need to always be knowing. And I am changing too. So I ought to be a student of my wife. And in so doing, I honor God. So we move on. He goes on and then he says, Children, obey your parents. In all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Well, let me back up. I failed to mention one thing here. He says about husbands, And do not be bitter against them. I can't tell you how many men are embittered against their wife. What it means is don't be resentful, don't be harsh, Don't hold hard feelings against her. It's interesting that God puts this. Love your wife and don't be bitter against her because that is a natural response of a a self-centered love in a man. She's not treating me the way I ought to. May not say it, but in in our heart we get there and we go there. And pretty soon the heart gets calloused over And pretty soon, marriages have roommates instead of a husband and wife. Pretty soon, they each have their own separate life. And they may not end in divorce, but they're not showing the love and grace of God. And he says, men, you must guard your heart always about being bitter, embittered against your wife. And see, that's, that's where it begins in the thoughts. These self-centered thoughts that come into our heart. Well, I'm treating her better than she's pre- treating me. I mean, me, me. You need to nip those things in the bud. You need to cut them off. You need to say, what if God thought about me like this? What if my God thought about me like I am thinking about my wife? So, move on to children. Children, I just woke you up first, came back to your parents and talked to them. Children, you only have one command. Husbands have two. Love your wife and be not embittered against them. Children, one command. Obey your parents. The only command given to children. Sounds easy, right? Except when you're a kid. Obedience plus anything equals disobedience. Obedience plus a bad attitude equals disobedience. Obedience plus delay equals disobedience. Go clean your room. Yeah, I'll get to it. Obedience plus doing it my way. When they tell you a specific... All it comes down to is obedience plus anything equals disobedience. Let alone if we blatantly just disobey. And, he says, this is the only command given with promise. If you want things to go well with you, obey your parents. Now, This this falls on parents as well, and we don't have time to give parenting lessons. We'll get into that in just a moment. But children, this is a promise of God, not me. Things will go much better in your life if you learn to obey your parents. Now, it's sad that I have to say this next thing. But if your parents ask you to violate laws of God, that is wrong. You obey God. If your parents, and and I say this because it's going on the radio, it's going on YouTube, if your parents are abusing you physically, sexually, or any other way, because sad to say, in Christian circles there's been a lot of incest, There's a lot, I say one is too many. And it is it has brought damage to generations. This isn't anything new. It has brought severe damage to generations. And and I don't care the situation. If there if there is sexual abuse and physical abuse. It needs to be addressed, and God does not call you to obey your parents in situations like that. It is a sad day that we live in, but it is important that those issues must be taken care of. Number four, fathers. So it comes back now. Husbands, now fathers. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not, some translations say, do not exasperate your children. It means to make resentful, to cause annoyance, to irritate to a high degree, to provoke to anger, to rouse to rage, to infuriate. And some of you parents are thinking, I just look at them and they get exasperated. I just walk by and say, good morning, and it's like, you know. Now, it's not saying do whatever, whatever you can to make life wonderful for the little princess. That isn't what it's saying. What it's saying is, don't you live a hypocritical life. Don't you ask them to do something that you're not doing. And, and again, we don't have the time, but in the book, the study book, it went over, it listed several things of ways we exasperate children. And he says, when, when we push them to this point, they lose heart. They become discouraged. They give up. They have no purpose in life. John Newton, who... Very famously, we're familiar with him and his story. John Newton said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Isn't that sad? I know that my father loved me, but it was like he never wanted me to know that. He didn't want to show that to me. Luther. Luther's father was so stern to him that Luther, all the, his days, found it difficult to pray our Father." The word "father" in his mind stood for nothing but severity. The duty of the parent is discipline, but it, it is also encouragement. Luther said himself said, "Spare the rod and spoil the child. It is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. Notice the balance there. We exasperate our children when we are heavy on truth and light on mercy. We exasperate our children when we're heavy on mercy and light on truth. We exasperate our children when we don't manifest love toward them. This is, this is a very difficult area. And it's an area that ought to drive every father and every mother to their knees in saying, God, this is your creation and, and you have uniquely made them and I don't know how to minister in their lives. And I need your grace, and, and I don't want to cause them to become discouraged about you. We exasperate them when, you know what, we, we barely made varsity even our senior year, but we expect them to be the star their freshman year. Or we expect them to hold the standard. We, we sailed through school sea level. And we expect them to make the dean's list. Or whatever it is. I used to work 40 hours in the first three days of the week. And you lazy bum, look what you're doing. Blah, 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 blah. And you're just driving their heart away from God. Because, you hear what Luther said? What I saw in my father affected what I saw in God. What do they see in you? Is it drawing them to the heart of God? Or is it pushing them away? As I said, it ought to drive us to our knees in prayer. And perfect timing, just this last week, came out. And if I could have a couple men, three or four, whatever, come and pass these out. Here's a a prayer list for the month of June Praying for revival in our families. I was um, studying on this, and, and Friday morning, Marilyn came in and said, Here, this may help you this week. And she just saw it. Came from one cry. Every, every family, every couple in our church ought to start today, June 5th. Start and be praying these are excellent prayer things for family. Pray for grandkids. Pray for your neighbor's kids. Whatever it is. For families. I'm not going to go through this. We don't have the, the time to go through that. But there's a tool. Okay? So, he's applying. If Christ is all, it ought to change wives, husbands, children, parents, and, he says, it all also ought to change workers, laborers. He says, I want you to obey your masters in all things, according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. In understanding in all of our work, our boss is God. And when we work for God, our work will be rewarded. Whether our earthly boss rewards us or not, our work will be rewarded. Do you understand? All Christians have the same employer. We just have different tasks. We have different responsibilities. We have different jobs. And he says, I want you to do it heartily as to the Lord." wholehearted, um, honest, diligent work as to the Lord and not to men. People that employ people ought to say, oh, he's a Christian. I want him because I know he'll be honest. I know he'll work hard. I know he'll be loyal. I know he'll be faithful. That's what ought to be the testimony of we as Christian workers. And it's understanding God will reward you for it. You may say, I I work my tail off every day, but somebody else gets promoted. It doesn't seem to pay. Payday hasn't come yet. Payday's coming. And God will reward your work if you work as unto the Lord and not unto men. Then, um, it's interesting, one commentator said, uh, whoever put the chapters and verses in the Bible must have been a boss and was hoping you wouldn't get to chapter 4. I don't know why there's a division there. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad whoever put the chapter and verses in the Bible put them there because it makes it a lot easier for us to find it. But really, there shouldn't be a division there. He goes on, after talking about the laborers, he mentions the masters, the bosses. And he said, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He says, If you in any way are over people, you are to be, as a believer, because Christ is all, You ought to be just and fair and generous as your master in heaven. You have a master in heaven. And he's watching how you are the master on earth. And he is just and fair and generous. And that's what we ought to be. Are you treating your employees like you would desire the Lord to treat you? Are you one that people say, oh man... He is, he is great to work for. I've, I've never been in a better situation. He takes care of his workers. He has a good attitude. Um, when you make a mistake, he's merciful. He's understanding. He ha- calls us to a high standard. These are, these are the outworkings. These are the reality of the Christian life. And it ought to show up. Our our marriages ought to be different. And, And I don't mean, well, at least we stayed together. Don't settle for mediocrity. We ought to be manifesting the joy and the love and the glory of God. We should be manifesting it in how we parent. None of us are going to be perfect parents or husband or wife, because none of us are perfect. But if our heart's bent toward, I want to honor God, I want to honor Christ, then then we can see the power of God work in our life. As I mentioned earlier, the key today is the areas that apply to you to go into your own life and remove the beam out of your own eye. Don't don't be looking, boy, I hope they heard that and I hope they heard that. What is it God wants in my life? It is so important that we come back. This is this is the key right here. These passages, chapter three, twelve through four one, are the key to revival. The key to revival is not electing people. The key to revival is Christians starting to live as Christ is all and letting it affect every area of our life and it will transform our homes and the homes in turn have an impact on the, on the community and on the nation. See, what we are given in this passage is something that we can actually do in this world that is so much out of control. But you know what? I can't do a lot about what's out of control, but I can do a lot about how I love my wife and how I love my kids and how I work and how I lead others and every aspect of my life. This is where Christ makes a difference. I've, I've known people that away from here... They, away from their area, they had a a good name, so to speak, because the people didn't know them. But in their home area, it was like, oh, brother, where you ought to be the most um, godly example is not what people know you away from here. It's those that are in your home. Not that you're perfect, but that you're humble to seek forgiveness when we do wrong, to make things right, to be clothed with humility and long-suffering and forbearance. This this is the reality of the Christian life. This is where the rubber meets the road. And you know what? There's kids sitting here listening today and... In their mind, they're thinking, I hope mom and dad heard this. Or in their mind, they're thinking, we'll see if any of this shows up in the home. And if it does, you show a testimony that I have a heart for God. If it doesn't, you say to your kids, it really doesn't matter what God says. You can go do whatever you want. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much you pray. If your life undoes what you're asking God to do, God's not going to step in and do what He's called us to do. And these are responsibilities He's given to us. That because of Christ, His power is at work in us and He can make us the wife, the husband, the child, the father, the laborer, the boss that we ought to be because of who He is. Heavenly Father, we desperately need Your intervention in our lives. And Lord, we ask today that Your Spirit would truly burden our hearts today to the needs of each one of us here today to go back and deal with issues in our lives and seek forgiveness for where we have violated Your ways and Your principles and then to go on and build on You in your ways, in your principles, that we would be what you want us to be. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, God has challenged me in an area or areas. This is purely between you and the Lord. But God has challenged me today and I know there are steps of action He has called me to take I wish you would remember me in prayer that I'd be a doer of the conviction that He's brought. Would you just slip up your hands that we could remember you in prayer? Amen. Amen. Any others while we wait just a moment? God has challenged me to be a doer of the Word. Amen. Amen. Lord, I do pray that your grace would be appropriated in these lives. Lord, I pray that they would know the joy of resisting the urges of our flesh and that we would obey you. Lord, you know the specific areas that you called them to and we ask that You would, in a great and powerful way, show Your power. So, Lord, we thank You that whatever You call us to do, You give us the power to do it. And I pray that there would be great victories as a result of our commitment to You and our walking in Your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.